You're listening to the Bitching and Bolusing Podcast with Courtney and Brittany. Hi, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Bitching and Bolusing Podcast. I'm Brittany. I'm Courtney. Hello, everyone. And we are going to touch on a subject that Courtney and I both feel very strongly about. Yes. Today's topic has been something that Brittany and I have talked about plenty behind the scenes. We've talked about it online a lot. It's something that really is very important to us because it involves our families, our kids, and that's the privacy and autonomy of children on social media. It is a very controversial topic (laughs) to some extent. We're going to likely have this be multiple parts, probably about three episodes. This is just an intro episode to talk about what is going on in social media in regards to the overexposure of our disabled children, children in general, and how that affects an entire community of disabled people. This kind of got started because it was probably about a month, a month and a half ago or so. I feel like I sort of kicked the hornet's nest online. And I was kind of mulling things about and thinking about exploitation of children and how that is just rampant right now on the internet. You don't even have to have a disabled kid. There are just a lot of accounts out there with, I mean, hundreds and thousands of followers who focus on using their children as content. They have sponsorships off of it. They're making money off of it. And then that went into medical exploitation and how whether you want to admit it or not, there are a lot of parents on the internet who have disabled children who are what I would call medically exploiting their kids. I ended up posting about this and just was kind of saying how if you're making content off of your kid's trauma, (laughs) then you are exploiting your child, and that really needs to stop. I got so many hate messages from that that day. It was insane. I had so many people messaging me saying that I was mom shaming and I'm not being a supporter of the, you know, parenting community and the caregiving community and parents have the right to do whatever they want to do. And it ended up kind of going down this really slippery slope of danger, I guess. I I feel Mm -hmm. like if parents genuinely feel that they can do whatever they want to do with their kids, that's a very dangerous slippery slope. It kind of spiraled out of control and I (laughs) I had to reel it in a little bit and I had to make like a permanent post to kind of explain my thought process of all of that. You had to smooth Um, the waters. (laughs) I had to smooth the waters because I think that if we just kind of (laughs) jump into it being like, you guys need to stop all this. <laughs> like, that's not, that doesn't come across. Okay, so I'm going to read my permanent post that got a lot of people talking and thinking and and maybe came at it from a different perspective. No, yeah, definitely. I think rehatching that, especially for our listeners who maybe didn't follow you at the time, just kind of showing what you had said, I think is really important to give a little bit more context Yeah, the point I was trying to get across did not (laughs) come off across at the very beginning. (laughs) Okay, so I wrote my maintaining privacy through your journey. I wrote, I was going to make this post with a picture of myself during a really challenging moment. I scrolled as far back as I could looking for something, even went through years of text media between my husband and I, and there was nothing. No images of me profusely bleeding through adult diapers in the name of postpartum awareness, taken by those who were caring for me. No pictures of catheters being placed when I couldn't empty my bladder after my C-section. No photographs of me laying in a hospital bed crying my eyes out after we just received devastating news about our baby. And while I'm not sure if I'm thankful or not that these photographs don't exist, I am thankful that they don't exist on the internet for the entire world to see, all to raise awareness without my knowledge or consent. So why do we as parents feel it's our right to do the same to our children? Why do we feel it's our right to expose any and every moment our child experiences simply because we are their parent? Bear with me and hear me out. As parents, we have every right in the world to make any and all decisions for our children within legal limits. But parents need to understand that there can be abuse of those rights. 
Our children, disabled or not, deserve respect, privacy, and autonomy. Our children do not need their most vulnerable and uncertain moments posted publicly in the name of awareness. And they certainly don't need to be posted in the name of parents building a community. Building a community is for yourself and not for your child. And the thing is, is that no one's trying to silence the parents. At least I'm not. Our experiences matter. They're important and they're valid. But our experiences as parents are not our children's experiences. When your child's on a life flight to the hospital, you may be having the worst day of your life, but it pales in comparison to what your child's experiencing. I've heard from many people this past week, but I'm an open book, and that's great. Me too. But it's my book that's open and not my child's. My child cannot give consent, and we don't know any long-term implications that may come from posting private medical information on the internet. Simply because your child cannot give consent does not mean consent does not exist. You can be an open book while still maintaining healthy and respectful boundaries for your child. I don't think I'd much enjoy walking into my son's doctor's office and seeing a framed printout on the wall of every diagnosis he has, pictures of procedures, etc., for every other patient to walk in and read. In fact, I would probably file a massive HIPAA complaint if I saw that. And yet parents won't think twice to post the same exact information on the internet for every stranger to see, all because we have the right to do so. So where do we draw the lines? Where do we make those boundaries? I think it can start by understanding that our children's experiences are not our own. As parents, we should share our experiences, but that doesn't have to happen while posting private moments of our children. Why post a picture of your child crying while in extreme pain when you can turn the camera around and post a picture of yourself and the emotions that you're experiencing during those moments? Because if you want to share your journey, then your emotions are your journey. You don't know what your child is feeling in those moments, just like your child doesn't know how helpless you're feeling in that moment. So why are we so quick to turn the camera on our kids when we want to build a community that supports us and our experiences? Amy Sequenzia said it perfectly. Your child's disability is not about you. Your child's disability is not your story to tell. And if you do it in public at your child's expense, you're not doing your job, which is parenting. A lot of parents recently got upset because I said that there are tons of influencer accounts that medically exploit their children. This got misconstrued as mom shaming and essentially assuming I meant parents can't share their day to day, which wasn't the point at all. But sometimes it's a parent's job to take a step back and think about what they're putting out on the internet for the whole world to see. If a post of a child in an ambulance is gaining the parents' followers and likes and comments, the end result of that post is medical exploitation, even if that wasn't the intention. It's important to remember that our intentions and the end results can be two very different things, but it's the end result that matters the most. So what do we share? Where are the boundaries? I've explained it this way. When my parents were raising me, they didn't have social media, thank God. But there were dozens of pictures all over the place for people to see when they walked into our home. Would I have wanted a picture of me up on the wall in an extremely vulnerable state? No, I wouldn't have wanted our mailman to see pictures of me covered in a bathtub, let alone pictures of me fighting for my life, unsure of what tomorrow could bring. Instagram is the new family portrait wall except we're letting hundreds of thousands of strangers into our living room every single day. My life is not someone else's worst-case scenario, and I refuse to allow anyone to think that. Even in our worst, scariest moments, we're not someone else's worst-case scenario. Anyone in this world would be lucky to have Cyrus. The literal joy he brings our family, there's simply no words that can describe it. I cannot sit with other people's feelings on this topic. I feel, if people feel as though I've been shaming or silencing, that's not my intention, nor is it my responsibility to hold their failings in the palm of my hand. And if saying children deserve boundaries makes me the bad guy, then I'm totally okay with that. I'll be the bad guy. But children do deserve boundaries. We were all children to parents at one point, and we seem to so quickly forget that when we post to social media. As parents and caregivers, we should not have to post pictures of our ch children, sick and vulnerable, to raise awareness. And if we feel pressure to, that says a lot more about society and the community as a whole. It should not take a video of an extremely sick child for others to realize that it exists, and our children should not unknowingly be that subject of attention. There's a lot to unpack there. So, <laughs> <laughs> there is a lot to <clears throat> unpack there is. there. I think once I put it out with more thought process, <laughs> it was received in a better manner of people being like, okay, yeah, no, that makes sense. 
And the thing is, guys, is that nobody's trying to silence parents. It's really not about that whatsoever. I think that there's so much to be said about the community and the support that you receive within the community and just not feeling that isolation when you're dealing with really, really tough moments. But the thing is, is that that can all happen and you can receive that support without exploiting your kid or without crossing the line and you're able to maintain that privacy for your child. I mean, I know people who will sit there and say, oh, well, it helps me feel like I get thoughts and prayers (laughs) during certain things. And it's like, yes, but... All it takes is a post with words. You don't even have to put a picture up Mm -hmm. that says like, hey, we're really struggling right now. We could really use some extra support and extra thoughts and prayers. And guess what? The people that really matter and the people that really care, they're going to be the ones flooding your inbox saying like, hey, what's going on? And those are the people that you want to be there for support. Not someone who's just like either quickly commenting like, oh, praying for you, or, you know, the silent Joe Schmo in the background who's coming to your page out of morbid curiosity to see pictures of really sick kids or pictures of kids crying in pain or also pictures of kids in diapers because why are we posting a picture of a 12 or 16 or 20-year-old kid in a diaper if you wouldn't do that to a kid that's not disabled? Where we really want to focus our energy in this discussion is exactly what you just touched on, is that it's not a matter of trying to silence or mom shame or say, hey, you shouldn't do this, slap on the wrist. It's not about that at all. It's it's a lot more complex than that because social media is a part of our lives now. It is ingrained in society. These kids are growing up with it being in their lives from literally their birth. And it's not mm. just about just being disabled or not being disabled. Social media has taken this whole new life form in society that it's not going away, right? So we're not we're not saying like, hey, don't use social media, don't post your stuff, don't do this. We're just trying to open people's eyes to see it from a different perspective and understand that social media is in flux. It is constantly changing. The things that are happening on it are also changing, meaning awareness, support groups, all these things are shifting and changing. We're not we're not trying to hate on anybody because guess what? Me and Brittany, we were we were in the same position. Mm. We're still learning our path and we're still trying to figure out what are our boundaries where do we draw the line right and we're just trying to make this this a bigger picture i've had some really icky posts like i have posted things that once i was educated and once i was able to and willing to see what i was doing wrong and you take that look back and you start looking at the posts you had made and you're like wow what was i thinking when I posted that of Lino or, you know, how could I show him like that? And you just start to look at things differently. And I started posting about Lino on social media, not from when he was born. When he was born, it was way too traumatic. I wasn't that active on social media to start with prior to his birth. And it wasn't something I was even ready to deal with myself, never mind bring about my birth trauma and his injury to the world. I was very, very hesitant about doing that. What was the deciding factor ultimately was fundraising. That's how I started posting. Mm -hmm. It was about the fact that I had to sacrifice my career. I lost my career. Our family lost a second income. Now we're in this position where I needed to be home and be a caregiver for Lino. And the next thing you know, we didn't know how we were paying our rent You know, it was really that simple. And the only thing we could think of was a GoFundMe. What's the best way to GoFundMe? You got to blast that on social media. It really is, you know, Mm -hmm. and and that's Mm -hmm. what we we did. We did a lot of that. We we told his story so that people would want to hear it and, and be interested. And at that time, when we even started posting about Lino, in general, my followers were family and friends. So it didn't feel as icky at the time. I still think it's very icky when I think about it in hindsight. 
But it didn't feel as icky when I posted it because it was like I was just telling my family and friends, the people who knew me, the people who knew my husband, the people who knew my family. But then our social media over the years, it grew. You know, it did. People started to listen. We started to get more followers. Not that I am like, <laughs> I'm not saying I've got hundreds of thousands of followers here, <laughs> but they it did grow where it was people I didn't really know. The, these There yeah. are a significant amount of people who follow me that I do not know. Right. And you'll probably never meet. Yeah. A hundred percent, you know, uh, and there's just a lot of people that I don't know. And When you start to think about it like that, even though I innocently put up those posts and they had a purpose, and that purpose was also successful, to be fair. We did fundraise really well. We survived a full year of paid rent. I mean, think about that. That's pretty phenomenal. So from that perspective, it worked. But to what extent, I guess, you know, what damage did I make because of that? And interestingly enough, that really did turn around on me. Yeah, I mean, you have like an actual real life story. (laughs) I do. And I'm going to share it with you all because it really is a a tale of caution. Nothing horrendous happened, but you'll understand when I explain it. And let me just preface this statement with, I want my family and friends in Italy to know that they did nothing wrong. And I love (laughs) you guys so much. But the story I'm about to tell is regarding our most recent trip to Italy. And it does directly link to the information I revealed and posted early on in our journey when we were initially fundraising. Just to clarify again and reiterate, I posted a lot of details about Lino in those early days. Everything about his medical conditions, all the potential surgeries he needs. I'm pretty sure his entire medical file you could put together just based on my my post back in those days. I'm not kidding. And I'm embarrassed by that, but (laughs) let me tell you my tale of caution. So we recently took a trip to Italy to see family and friends that we were not able to see for many, many years because Lino's uh, injury, that first year of his life, the intention was, oh, when Lino's born, we'll go visit family so everyone can meet him. That wasn't possible. Lino, Lino was, you know, going through a lot. We were going through a lot that first year. Then COVID hit. So the, the entire country of Italy was shut down. People couldn't leave. You couldn't enter. It was just disastrous. And, you know, then just finances. It's just, it's incredibly expensive, unfortunately. And this past year, my sister-in-law was so gracious and paid our flights to finally go to Italy to see family. And just to give you some backstory, Stefano, my husband, is from Italy. So the majority of his family is there. So like his parents, like these are people we haven't seen in a really long time and, and some haven't even met our kids. So we go to Italy. We're down by his area where he's in Puglia, which is like the heel of the boot, sort of, if you're looking geographically. And it's a small town. It's it's roughly about 30,000 people. And to give you some perspective on that, um, my hometown was like 500,000 people and my university was like 34,000 people. So it's like, it's a really small town. Everybody knows everybody. You know somebody through somebody else, right? You know? And we were trying to figure out how we were going to, I guess, in some sense, please everybody, but also in a sense, how we ourselves would get to see everybody. You know, it's it's difficult. You're you're in another country, you're traveling with a disabled child. It's just difficult. So one of the things we had tried to figure out was <laughs> maybe we just like go to the town on a Sunday when everybody's out in the piazzas and we could just like kind of walk around and everybody could say hi and see us, you know? So that was the intent. But prior to even trying to do that day, which that day gave me, even the thought of that day gave me anxiety. We were like, oh, let's stop in the town. Uh, Stefano's friend had opened a store in the center of his town and we were like, let's stop on in. We want to see the store. We want to say hi to her. It was meant to literally be like, a 30-minute trip at max. We were just going to park the car, unload the kids, go in the store, say hi, what's up, leave, and that's it. 
before we even got out of the car, like we parked before we even got out of the car, people started recognizing Stefano. And I don't know what I actually expected, but I didn't didn't really think this through. So people already started recognizing him. Lino was already in a cranky mood. He just wasn't having it. Jet lag, everything was building up. And we started unloading the kids. People were coming up to Lino. He was getting upset and he started crying. And I had I had a complete meltdown. I shut down. I, w- I was like, we're putting the kids back in the car. Put the kids back in the car. And me and my husband started fighting. It was this whole big thing. Now you're like, wait, how is this a tale of caution, right? It sounds, sounds a little ridiculous. Here's the thing that I realized in that exact moment when Lino started reacting to strangers walking up to him and saying hi. I unintentionally created a quote-unquote celebrity in Lino. And I'm not saying, oh, my God, everybody wants my son. He's the cool, like, coolest kid in the town. I mean, he is a cool-ass kid, so I'm not going to lie about that. But in that moment was when I actually had this enlightenment of what the fuck did I do? Because he was freaking out. He's like, who is this? Who who are these people? What is going on? I don't understand. And it dawned on me that everybody felt they knew him because of how much I put out there about him. Everyone mm-hmm. felt almost entitled to approach him. And it's not in, not with ill intent at all. All people were excited to see him. Everybody wanted to see him. Everybody wants to say hi. Everybody wanted it to say hi to us. It it was never with ill intent, but it dawned on me that I created something that I could not in any fashion take back. There was no way of stopping Mm -hmm. the train wreck that was about to go down if I had even walked two blocks in that town. We never even left the side of the car. Think about that. So if Mm -hmm. we had walked to the store, which was like four or five blocks away, I don't even know how many other people we would have encountered that would have known Stefano, that would have recognized us, recognized Lino, wanted to engage. And I started to panic myself because I was throwing something at this child that he had no understanding of whatsoever. And it is not his responsibility. It is not, he is not responsible for what I did. He's not responsible to, to these people because to him, they are strangers. (laughs) He doesn't know who they are. He's like, I don't understand. And it really was so eye opening that I had done this. This was something I had done. And not just me, me and my husband, we we both accept our parts in this. We both posted a lot about Lino. We did, you know, we talked about him a lot, especially like I said in the beginning. And it was traumatizing to say the least. I'm not going to lie. It really was rather traumatizing. And uh, all in all, we ended up scrapping the whole idea um, about even going to the town. We never even did that. We ended up switching up our plans. We had a birthday party for him and just had everybody that really was the closest to us come there instead of trying to go out and see everybody because we 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 couldn't control what was about to go down. The only way we can control it was to keep Lino out of the situation. And I think that that's the thing too, is that even though the intentions were so good, it was such a massive interruption to your day. Think about it, right? I'm hearing you say all of this, and I'm hearing so much of like, everybody came out and they wanted to see Lino. And I'm not really hearing anything about Luca. <laughs> no, that poor child was still in the car, by the way, I think. <laughs> right. And I think that like, especially for interabled families, like this is another key thing that like, if we are just focusing so much on the medical aspect of our family's journey, we're now creating this divide between siblings, if you have interabled siblings. Mm-hmm. And there's so many layers of now your day is interrupted. <laughs> now, uh, Lino, you know, that's not comfortable for Lino. I mean, I don't want to be the center of attention for anybody. And I'm an adult. And being a toddler and having all of these strangers come up to you and quite literally knowing because Lino and Cyrus are very similar where 
they're very cognitively aware that like they can't just escape a situation. They can't just get up and walk away if they're uncomfortable. They quite literally rely on us to get out of any uncomfortable situation that they're in. And so that adds a layer of panic to that. We create these situations for our kids, even if it's not intentional. And I know like I've done it too. And even if you want people to love on your child and see the best in your child and all this, like it's still putting them on display. It's really dangerous. Our children don't deserve to have their days interrupted beyond the extent of what it already is, right? Because you can be out in the store with a kid and if there's another kid there, most likely at some point in your day, you're going to have a curious kid come up and be like, oh, why is he not walking? <laughs> so like your day's already getting interrupted as it is. But So to add to that, it's not fair to these kids. It's not fair to the families really. And I think that there's also something to be said for, you know, and I keep thinking this over in my head. We're not going to be around forever as parents, right? Our day's going to come, unfortunately. And... The internet is forever. Even if you delete things and you scrub it, like it's always there somewhere on the internet. And I constantly have been thinking that that's part of the legacy that we leave behind. And in no way, shape, or form do I want my legacy to involve my kid's trauma at all. I don't want that to be part of my legacy. Like they don't have to know that. Strangers don't have to know that. At some point, if I'm dead, my kids may come across. Like, it's like the, the new family album, right? Like, like, my kids might come across my social media and go through it just as they would a family album. I mean, I, I still go over to my parents' house and go in their attic sometimes and, like, look through the family albums, you know, just out of, you know, like, oh, remember this? Remember that? And I don't want my kids to be looking through the quote-unquote new family album and be like, oh, remember that time that you were in the hospital and you were, you know, seizing and this and that? Like, no! That's not something that they, they, they lived it. They experienced it. That's not the legacy that I'm going to leave behind for my children. And I think that it's so important to, like, take a step back and think about it that way. Yes. I think it's really a slippery slope. It is. And I, I also think it's important because sometimes we forget that there might be people out there that think, oh, well, my child will never be scrolling on Instagram. I really want to point out that that doesn't matter. Mm. That is still a person. That is still an individual. Obviously, I know, understand the medical complexities, but the hope of being an adult and you can't use that as a cop out. You know, you can't use that as an excuse to be like, well, my kid will never see it. It's not about that. Or consent. I've heard from so many people like my kid will never be able to consent. Can't consent. Yeah. It's what can I use to support what I'm doing versus actually being able to look and evaluate what I'm doing and, and rethink it. Guys, that is a hard thing to do. I am not trying to sit here and be like, well, I am so enlightened. No, that is definitely not the case. And let me tell you, it was even just talking about my story. That was a very, very defining moment for me in Italy where it was also incredibly traumatizing for me. That was a really, really difficult thing for me to go through. I was hysterical. I was crying. I was yelling at my husband. My husband took the brunt of that. Let me tell you, he will tell you, he will tell you how bad it was for me. It was a really difficult, dark moment. You know, these are not going to be easy conversations to have with yourself or with others. We're just trying to just open up your mind a little and guide you there because it really is very important to respect our children, to respect all children. And you might not be there yet, and that's okay. You know, you, you might be in your journey where you're just, your mindset's not there. Because I could tell you, if I was listening to this podcast, even let's say like a year ago, I might have a very different perspective. I mean, I remember one time, I think it was Ableism is Trash, and I am so sorry if, if it wasn't your account. This was like a long time ago. But I think Ableism is Trash was was talking about the, the term warrior and how it's not appropriate to use. And I remember being really pissed about that. Yeah. I remember being like, how dare you tell me I can't call my child a warrior? 
Er, he's a CP warrior. Er, he's an epilepsy warrior. I think I called him every warrior under the sun. And I remember I unfollowed that account for a period of time because I did. I was so upset about it. I was like, absolutely not. You, you can't tell me. And who I am now versus when I remember seeing that post is is very different. Like I totally am on board with the anti-warrior statement. <laughs> I mean, it, and it just, it takes some time to to get it and to get to the point of getting it. And the thing is, guys, is that I know I said this in my whole entire speech, but we are not building a community for our children through raising awareness and all that. And I, I know that there are going to be parents sitting back being like, yes, I am. And it may make you a better parent, a better caregiver, having a stronger community, But here's the thing. The community is for you. It's not for your kid because I can promise you, I can promise that when your child is fighting for their lives in an ambulance, when your child is being poked and prodded with IVs, when your child's being intubated, they don't care about Jessica on the internet sending thoughts and prayers. All your child wants is mom and dad. That's it. Or mom and mom or dad and dad, whatever. All they want is their parents. And that's the only thing that your child cares about in those moments. They want the comfort of their parents. They don't want the comfort of a stranger on the internet. And so when you are now building a community off of the back of your child who's going through this extremely traumatizing moment, it's not about your child. It's really not about your child. Building that community has nothing to do with your kid, because your kid does not give two shits (laughs) about somebody across the country saying like, oh, I'm thinking of you guys, I'm praying. Like, they don't care. (laughs) No. That's why it's really important to, like, take a step back and, and think, am I sharing my experience or am I sharing my kid's experience? Because I've been there. I've done it. I've done it all. I had pictures up of Cyrus in the hospital during, you know, a weekend EEG. Like, same thing. You could probably piece his medical <laughs> files together from the things that I've posted in the past and have scrubbed. And I've been there. But it just took a moment of saying, this isn't about me. If I want to share my experience of having my kid in a hospital crying while they're while they're trying to put IVs in. I can't take a picture of my kid and talk about myself. <laughs> yeah. You know, I can talk about myself and and post a picture of myself in hysterics or in the bathroom disassociating and all that. Like, sure. But I can't post a picture of him and now talk about what I'm feeling. It's just not fair. No, it's not. And I think I'd like to also point out is a lot of people when this topic comes up is, well, I'm looking for that community. I'm looking for other caregivers. I'm looking for other moms, right? I need to play devil's advocate on this one because here's the thing. That's the important part about closed chat groups. Mm. Honestly, if you're going to look to social media for support, having a really legitimate closed support group, like chat group, is so incredibly valuable for that. That's the way you need to go when you're looking for that support and you're looking for your community, right? The caregiver community, the parent community, whatever it is type of community you're looking for. You're looking for somebody, your peers to relate to, somebody that you can lean on, where you can ask questions. It's those closed support groups that, that legitimate, right? Because the, some of those are even, oof, let me tell you, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a handful on Facebook that I'm like, is anybody adminning this? This is like dangerous, yeah. you know? So the, even that's a slippery slope because there are definitely people who get in there that shouldn't be in there. You know, mm-hmm. but there's no perfect scenario for that. But if you're going to look towards social media, it is those closed support groups and chat groups that are going to be where you go. You hopefully can find a group that is trustworthy because I'm the same. Like when I started this journey, you know, yes, I started with the goal to fundraise for Lino. 
then it morphed into following accounts that I knew, following your account, Brittany, following um, other HIE accounts, finding others that were going through similar and following their accounts and their stories and being like, oh my God, you go through that too? To be fair, we have a a WhatsApp group of just HIE moms, Brittany and I, and it's just a Mm -hmm. bunch of other moms that all our children have the same brain injury. I wouldn't know any of you if it wasn't for Instagram. So to be fair, there is an element of I understand, but there's also a point that I didn't need to have you guys post about the medical side of your kids in order for me to follow or connect with you because a lot of what we talked about was always behind the scenes. We started with an Instagram chat and moved over to like a WhatsApp chat just to get off social media. (laughs) But from that perspective, we also understand that angle. We understand that a lot of this is just to reach out, to find answers, to find somebody else that may have gone through it, to have a connection. There are ways to do that that are more appropriate in terms of giving your child autonomy and privacy. Right. And that's the thing, too, is that I constantly go back and forth as it is right now about what I post to social media because I'm kind of juggling this feeling that just having my kids on social media in general, even if it's just like a cute little snapshot of the brothers cuddling or something like that, I'm like, eh, you know, they can't really consent to it. Like, So I've been struggling with that. But even with what I post, which I feel like I'm not crossing those medical boundaries, I'm still getting messages from people asking questions privately, (laughs) which... I'm happy to to have that discussion. And so I feel like I can post just a cute little snapshot of my kids and somebody's still going to reach out to me and say, hey, your son reminds me a lot of my daughter. Like, what equipment do you use? What do you do? I mean, I've had people reach out to me and ask about potty training. And I really don't post anything at all about potty training because it's no one's business. And I've still gotten the messages being like, can you help me? in this way. That's probably where Courtney and I come from is that you're still able to raise awareness. You're still able to build a community. You're still able to do all of these things for yourself without divulging private medical information or really vulnerable, scary moments with your kids. Exactly. I have the same thing where I don't divulge any medical information anymore, pretty much. And I still have a lot of chats with people, especially in Instagram, in regards to a lot of medical things. Yes, I guess the argument could be made, well, maybe people are reaching out to you because you used to post medical stuff. I'm sure that argument can be made. But I also think there's this unwritten rule of sort of, if you know, you know, so you're okay with Mm -hmm. talking about it, you know? And and listen, there are times that people ask me things that I will not talk about, you know? Like, I'm still very hesitant, even in messages. I'm not talking to some random person. I usually only start talking about certain things if I've chatted with this person for a long time or, you know, and I'm still very selective about what I'll it will expose in regards to Lino. I always try to come at it from an angle of, oh, you want to know specifically about this piece of equipment, let's just say. I will talk about really just isolate that equipment. I'm not going to talk about why Lino uses it necessarily or like I try not to put him into it. Mm -hmm. I try to be more, you know, objective when I'm talking about these things as to what it is, like more factual than like, oh, this is Lino's experience with it. And and listen, I am transparent as shit. If anybody follows me, you guys know some of my dirtiest secrets because of what I share on social media. I am an addict. I have a history of addiction. I talk about these things. But guess what? I would be pissed as fuck if somebody else in my life talked about those things about me. Yeah, because it's not their story. It's not their story at all. And, and they have no right to say anything. And when I think about how I feel about that, guess what? Addiction is my medical profile, right? If I think about how I would feel, holy, I would never want Lino to feel that way. Never want anybody to feel that way. I would never want my kids to feel that way. I would never want some random stranger on the street to feel that way, that their privacy has been violated from that perspective. You know, feel free to divulge whatever you want about yourself or not divulge for all I give a fuck. I don't really care. (laughs) 
from that perspective, whether you do or you don't. But you really, really need to be very aware about what you're divulging about your kids. As parents, we are we're kind of guiding (laughs) the outside forces who are involved with our children, right? Like we are supposed to be leading by example and presume competence. You should just automatically assume my kid's competent. My kid knows, you know, treat them like other kids. And we can't sit back and, and say this until we're blue in the face and want others to presume competence of our children. When we are sitting there and saying, well, but they can't give consent, Because Mm. that's automatically (laughs) assuming, like, your kid's not going to understand it. They're not going to (laughs) care. I'm like, that's not it. Like, if you want other people to treat your kid as a human being, it is the parent's job to also treat your child as a human being and make those assumptions of, like, maybe my kid wouldn't like this on the internet. Maybe a one-year-old, maybe a five-year-old, maybe even an eight-year-old isn't going to understand the whole concept of it in that time. But when they're 16, when they're 20, when they're 35, they're going to get it. And they're going to, unfortunately, have people working with them who happen to come across mom or dad's social media and now you're laying out a bias for these people based on what you post. And that is a really, really dangerous thing to do. It is. I think we all have to take a step back and think in the future, if my kid is 16 years old and going to school, do I want his teachers or his therapists or his peers or his peers' parents To see my kid in a diaper or potty training or in an ambulance or in a hospital bed, like, do I want them to see that and potentially be a victim of it? We could scrub our our Instagram accounts all day and all night. We could scrub all our social media accounts, right, Brittany? And I still can't change what I have done. I can eliminate all of that off social media because I have now been educated and enlightened. And it still is leaving its impression. You have to accept that there is a level of permanency in what you Mm. post. And there will be bias based on that. You know, Mm -hmm. what you expose out there, people are going to hold it against that child, that person, whoever you're posting about. It stays. It becomes part of who they are because it's what people are seeing on social media in regards to them. And may I just uh, take a brief pause just to point out that that is a real live rooster <laughs> that, is, that is talking behind yes. Brittany. <laughs> if any, if that comes across on the audio, <laughs> we have roosters and this particular rooster likes to sit outside my window and just crow all day long. And I, ha- I even shut the window before we started, so I'm like sweltering right now, but... <laughs> He's, He's got opinions, sets. let me He's tell you. He's got opinions. <laughs> I think that this doesn't even just apply to parents who have disabled kids. For those who are kind of like keeping up, you know, I don't really keep up with like current events as much as I probably should, but there's a whole bunch of bills right now trying to be passed where parents cannot use their kids essentially as content on social media, especially if they are profiting off of it, right? And during one of the hearings, this really brave woman gave her story and she was essentially blasted on social media her entire growing up. Her mom had a social media that really focused on her. This woman is not disabled, but mom posted a lot about her. And when she came on to speak during the hearing, she actually said she was like, this is the first time that I'm using my real name in probably three or four years because her life was so affected by her mom posting about her on social media. She even said, she's like, if you Google my name, there will be dozens and dozens of pictures of me as a little kid, a toddler, in bikinis. And then she went on to say how her mom posted all about when she got her first period and how kids were making fun of her because, you know, mom went all on about that. And then she got really sick when she was about 16 or 17 and she was in the hospital and mom posted all about that. And a parent, uh, I mean, a teacher was following mom and ended up kind of telling the other class like, oh, don't go near her. She's sick. And like that affected her and she got bullied by that. She said how somebody followed her home because 
they knew just from the information that mom was posting, they pieced all the, you know, puzzle pieces together and figured out where this girl lived and actually followed her home and ended up messaging the mom and being like, oh, your daughter looked really nice today. Like, I saw her riding her bike home. And created this really scary life for this girl who didn't have any control over it. She was underage. Even if she said, hey, no, I don't like this, the mom still posted it because if you're underage and even if you say no, like, you know, that's another great area, right? If you want to say that your kid can't consent, well, what if your kid is underage, you know? Are you going to ignore that? I mean, it's still it's still kind of that gray area. So you can see how even just parents of kids who do not have disabilities, they can do this too and really, really affect the lives of their children. Now throw in the disability portion of it, (laughs) and there seems to be this whole other layer of stripping autonomy from your kid. Mm. The other dangerous layer of, like, your kid's gonna have caregivers in the future that are not you. Do you really want somebody who's responsible for your child to have a bias about your child before they even work with them? It creates such a dangerous stigma around disabled individuals who cannot consent. Because we already know the statistics, right? We already know the statistics about sexual abuse and things like that with disabled individuals. And now as parents, we're leading the way into saying, well, my kid can't consent, so I'm going to post this picture about them, or I'm going to post this video, or I'm going to post this reel. And we're leading that, saying, well, if my kid can't consent, do they really care? (laughs) Just because a mom or dad has morals saying, like, well, posting to social media doesn't equate to, like, you know, giving the green light to sexual assault or, or physical abuse or emotional abuse. I mean, I think any parent can sit back and say that, like, it does not equate. But there are some sick sick individuals out there who are not going to have the same moral standing as you. And some of those sick individuals, unfortunately, work in respite, work in nursing. They are teachers. They are therapists. They are doctors. These people exist within the professions that your child is going to be exposed to. Yeah, it's it's incredibly true and really scary when you think about it. And I know like there's so many other parts to this conversation that complicated as well. You touched on it briefly with sponsorship and getting paid Mm. and and the content that you're providing to get paid and to be sponsored Mm. is your children. And particularly when it comes to disabilities, I see it a lot of sponsoring equipment quick example, let's say a standing frame and you're out there and you're just sponsoring this particular brand of standing frame, really you're making it almost sound like everybody can be in the standing frame. It works great for everybody. And that's also not the case either. It's like kind of a little bit of false advertising or making it sound like equipment is built for all. And that, and that's not the case either. There's a reason why there is yeah. about, I don't know, like a dozen or more standing frames out there is because there isn't, you know, one fits all, you know, it's just right. not the way it is. Right. But I also find if people don't realize that's problematic because a lot of people go to seating and equipment facilities for their children and are like, well, I saw this stander. I think it's really cool. It's got great features. They get it. They take it home. And now insurance won't buy them a new one because it didn't work. You're adding to the problem. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you, I've had pieces of equipment. I'm like, well, this is now essentially a coat rack. Great. Fabulous. Yes. I'm so glad that I have this. (laughs) There's so many things to think about when you're sitting there and you're using your child's disability to sponsor something. There's so many things that you have to actually sit and really think about. I'm not saying, hey, don't don't sponsor, don't do this, don't do that. I'm really not saying that. I'm just trying to open people's eyes is to understand that what you're what your content is when you're getting paid, especially as a paid sponsor, right? It, what your content is that is helping you get paid is important. The, you you yeah. have to be critical as to what you are putting out there if you're being a paid sponsor. Yeah. And I mean, I think that we can both say with confidence <laughs> that it's quite unfortunate, but you have to admit that the pictures and videos and reels 
of really sick kid or the quote unquote inspiration porn, those get the most likes and the most views. And it does not take a rocket scientist to go onto an account of somebody who has 120,000 followers <laughs> and look at a cute little family portrait and then look at a picture of a kid in a hospital bed and compare those likes and those comments. I see a lot of sponsorships happening with accounts who tend to post more private vulnerable moments. I'm probably gonna get a lot of people not liking me for saying this, <laughs> but those private vulnerable moments gains followers. And it's kind of an unfortunate, I feel, side effect because then you're on this also slippery slope of like, oh, look it, people care. People are looking at us. You know, they wanna be invested in my kid. And, and so you're psychologically getting that from it. Then there's kind of this like, well, I'll post it again because nothing bad happened to it. Nothing bad that you're seeing comes from it. But there are bad things that come from it. And whether that is, which I think should be the very top of the list, stripping your child of their autonomy and not respecting boundaries, for every 10 likes that you get, I can guarantee there's probably 20 people silently watching you coming to your page out of that morbid curiosity aspect. Oh, 100%. I don't want those people. No. <laughs> and nobody should want those people. No, and I'm sure the people who have accounts that are kind of similar to what you're talking about don't want those people. Nobody wants that. That's the thing is that sometimes we're so blind to it. Sometimes we don't even think about it because we're, we're stuck in our own worlds. We're stuck in our own lives. Like we're just trying to do our thing here, you know? And that's what bitching and bolusin is here for, <laughs> to knock you right <laughs> down and make you rethink that. <laughs> Sorry, guys. It really is, you know. Um, we're happy to be the villains in this, in this scenario in hopes that we do actually do some good in the world and maybe change some perspectives. And again, maybe it's not today. Maybe it's not tomorrow. Maybe it's a year from now. Maybe it's 10 years from now. But maybe you listen to this podcast and you take a step back at some point in your life and you rethink it. I would call it a success. Honestly, I'd be like, we did it. Yeah, we finally did it. One more thing that I want to touch on too is that I also think it's really, really important to think about what your content actually does to your community. And as an example, HIE awareness and um, epilepsy awareness, they were back to back. And Epilepsy Awareness Day, when I tell you that I was so affected and so triggered and so traumatized by the amount of people posting pictures, videos, and reels of their kids seizing, it was, I had to log off because it was so triggering and I know I'm not the only person. And here's the thing, for those who deal with epilepsy, we really don't wanna see pictures and videos of other kids seizing because I would never wish epilepsy on my worst enemy. And just thinking of other kids having to go through that, I don't have to see a, a video of it to almost be sickened by the sadness that I have because I just don't want other kids to have to suffer that way. Same with HIE awareness is that we were all seeing videos and pictures and things like that of kids intubated without any trigger warning put on it. And I oftentimes log off of social media during HIE Awareness Month because it's just so triggering for me. And so I think that it's really important to kind of sit back and think about what your content is doing for the community that you're yelling from the mountaintops, that you're part of the community and you're doing it to raise awareness to the community. And it's like, when you're raising awareness for the community while also affecting those in it in such a negative way, that can be a really dangerous thing to do. And I know that I'm not alone. I know so many moms log off of social media during HIE Awareness Month just because there's no trigger warning on the intubated babies and the birth trauma. And like, I, I mean, I, I'll scroll down and I'll be like, oh, well, there's another intubated baby. Guess I'm guessing I'm getting off social media today. The epilepsy thing really killed me this year because I feel like more yeah. than ever, 
There was a lot Ever. of people posting their children full blown, uh, like tonic-clonics. And I was I just know. like, what are we doing right now? <laughs> because if there's anything I would never want to share, it would be that. And you don't want to see it. It is it is by far the most jolting, traumatizing experience ever. You know, and it's just to to what benefit are we actually posting that? What kind of awareness are you actually creating with that? Why are we turning trauma into content? And here's the thing is that Courtney and I, I know we have been in the same situation where we have seen seizures, uh, you know, our kids having seizures, and we've had to pull our phone out to record it to show an epileptologist. I cannot tell you how awful I feel as a mother to sit there and instead of just like wrapping my arms around my kid and like telling him that it's okay, I now have to sit back and record this to send to a doctor. That's not even putting it online for strangers to see. That's to send to his doctor to be like, hey, do we need a medication? Is this, you know, actually a seizure? So it kind of boggles my mind to some extent that there are kids who are crying in an ambulance or fighting for their lives or having seizures. Or, and I don't quite understand the thought process of now pulling out your phone, recording it, and then putting it online. Because these are all steps. Like these, yeah. there's quite <laughs> a bit of steps in that process. At any point, you could have rethought this. <laughs> It took a lot of things to get there. And it's like, I fail to understand where the thought process comes from. I guess that I can kind of understand, like, if you're, you know, kids in an extended hospital stay and they're just sleeping in the hospital bed and it's quiet and all this, like, okay, maybe then I get it. I have plenty of pictures of Cyrus in the hospital, you know, whether it's from the NICU or or other stays. And I haven't, you know, I don't post them online anymore or let anybody even know. But there are pictures out there that exist of kids crying and being bagged and they're getting their picture taken or kids screaming out in pain from tone. So it's not like those quiet hospital nights where it's like, oh, you know, we're having a, having a restful night tonight. Like it is actually the trauma and the moment that your kid is experiencing the trauma and crying and wanting comfort and instead of receiving the comfort, they have a camera turned on them. And why are we not turning the cameras around on ourselves to be like, I am very physically not okay watching my kid go through this. <laughs> Because I'll tell you what, when I have to see my kid suffer, I am very physically and emotionally not okay. If I want to tell that story, that's the picture I should be taking. This is actually a great segue into talking about what our next episode will be, is that there are ways to do this that do respect your children's autonomy and privacy, and we will be having a a guest on our next episode, and she will talk about how she does that successfully. If you guys don't already follow the Chong fam on Instagram, you should head on over and follow her. Jamie is um, mama to two babies. Uh, Her oldest is disabled, uh, same brain injury as Cyrus and Lino. Her youngest is oddly enough the same age as Luca and pretty much Alden, not far behind. I neither. Yeah. Jamie is really good at building a social media following and never stepping out of bounds. I think it's going to be really great having her on the show and having this conversation with her, um, as well as touching on how we started this episode with Brittany's post. There was a little bit of quote unquote drama. (laughs) when Britney first posted on Instagram stories. Drama within the mamas, guys. (laughs) It really was. It got got a little dramatic. And Jamie had a counter post. And then Britney had a counter post. And we're going to hash all of that in our next episode. Uh, We're going to do a deep dive into what actually went down. Um, We're also going to talk about uh, Jamie and her her perspective, as well as... uh, uh, I mean, I'm interested in asking her some of her advice as to how she kind of navigates the life of having a very active social media, but always putting her her children's privacy at the forefront. Um, so I think it's going to be a really great episode, and I'm really excited for you guys to to come on in and listen while we all bitch about it on our next episode. 
And I would also like to say that even though there was like this little bit of drama that happened, I love Jamie. I think she is an amazing mom. I think she's an amazing advocate. And that's really what we want to focus on is how she does such a good job at advocating while maintaining that privacy that we're talking about. Um, So I'm really excited to sit down and have a chat. I think it's going to be wonderful. And I hope it's also going to help other parents who want to grow their social media get a little bit of advice on how to do that while still respecting your kids' privacy. So that's all for today. I hope that we didn't make too many people upset with our uh, podcast today, but I do also hope that we got some gears turning and maybe got some people thinking. That's all for today, folks. Thanks for listening to the Bitching and Bolusing podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Bitching and Bolusing and like and subscribe for future episodes.